For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, Entrepreneurial ent program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. The voice you are not hearing tonight is Dan Delmar, uh, my wonderful co-host for the last nine years is, is off. He's in Toronto tonight. You know, it's family day, basically everywhere else in North America, except Quebec, uh, or if it's not President's Day, it's family day. It's some holiday somewhere except here. So tonight, uh, it's just uh, myself, uh, Josh Miller, uh, partner at FL Fuller Landau. And on the program tonight, we are going to welcome Miguel Escobar from Future Cities uh, and talk a lot about uh, real estate and architecture and urban planning and, and the business that uh, he conceived of when he, uh, when he was just nine years old. Uh, later on the program, uh, we'll welcome Nick Moretis, uh, tax partner at FL, and uh, we're going to chat about uh, challenges, certainly with the budget coming up next week. Uh, there's all there's continued talk about CRA and the changes they made last year, and then, of course, the current challenges that entrepreneurs and business owners face when they want to continue or try and find other ways to split their income with their family members. So we'll, that'll be uh, coming up later on the program. But first, uh, entrepreneurial news, and uh, we're going to take advantage of uh, Miguel in studio. And uh, Miguel, uh, Miguel Escobar from Future Cities, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Josh. And since a, since a couple of the news items that, that I was reading within the last few days fell on the the real estate uh, part of things, I figure we'll get uh, we'll get Miguel. He's been involved in real estate and so many aspects for uh, quite a, a few decades, we'll say. Although his youthful appearance doesn't appear on radio, uh, but uh, so we'll we'll delve right in. And really, we're there's one of the articles that I was talking about, and it's it's about de you know gentrification, neighborhoods, you know new new pro new building, new prospect. There's there was one article. Uh, in the Gazette a couple of days ago, and it was about developing St. Viator Boulevard, St. Viator Road in the Plateau. This is, you know, this is one of the older places we had uh, a few weeks ago. We had uh, Joe and Vince Morena from St. Viator Bagel, uh, and uh, they were certainly, you know, been 60 years on St. Viator Street. The street has changed somewhat or is going to change, and the article really focused on you know, how the, the developers that are coming in uh, that have, you know, really taken a liking to the street, uh, actually one developer in particular, uh, Schiller Lavi, that has, is, you know, buying a bunch of properties and recognizing the value of the street. But with the recognition of a value also comes some increased rents and some, you know, changing the neighborhood. And, and I know that, uh, Miguel, you've been involved in in urban planning as part of your, your part of your your experience and and in professional life, you've been part of city planning. Uh, what do you see when you when gentrification comes to certain neighborhoods? You know, there are businesses that are that are affected. You know, what, what do you what do you see? What are the major changes? What are the, what are the things that you feel that that businesses should kind of keep an eye out for, or maybe find a way to contribute? Well. It's 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 very hard to see those kind of things coming. Um, I think what ha what is happening in in the plateau in particular is that the value of the properties are going way up, much faster than the rents, and um, the the costs of expenses for cities are going up, um, and politicians have to do a balancing act uh, to keep uh, taxes down and and to control them. Um, and unfortunately, for businesses, 
when politicians need to increase their taxes, they dump that on to the commercial establishments. Um, on, in general, the split is uh, one to four. So for every dollar that a residential uh, building pays in taxes, uh, a commercial building pays four times. Uh, why? Because uh, it's easier to dump it on, on the commercial establishments because they hardly vote. They, they don't really have very much representation. Businesses don't vote. I mean, their owners vote, but they might not necessarily live there. There is there is a portion of the law that allows them to do that, but it's very convoluted. It has to be under your own personal name, but most companies don't operate under your own personal name. Do you think Do you think with all the, the tax increases, and, and part of it is valuation increases, because it's not just the mill rate, there's valuation. Would, would you think that, because I mean, businesses have the right to contest the value, do you see the, the contestation process uh, or or files that are out there just continue to rise? Uh, well, that's going to that's gonna come very shortly. Uh, I think there's going to be a spike in that. Uh, there is a lot less offer uh, product on the market right now, whether it's residential or, or commercial. Uh, so the prices of real estate are going up. Um, I'm seeing people that are actually, we're starting to get the Vancouver and Toronto effect here. N- not so much, but it's, it's happening. Uh, sellers are getting what they're asking for or even more. Um, since 2008, it was a, a buyer's market. Now that's turned around. No, no question. And and listen, when with Vancouver and Toronto, I mean, we haven't seen that 15% uh, real estate tax. Right? Not yet. You know, with, not yet, but right. certainly with the amount, the number of immigrants, the number of millionaires, we spoke about this on, on the program a couple of weeks ago, the number of of immigrant millionaires that are coming into the city that are willing to to buy and buy and buy, you you, you wonder uh, how long until that fifteen percent tax rate hits here. Definitely. As as we shift and we kind of think about you know there's St. Peter Street which is you know the plateau and that's that's one aspect, but there's no doubt in another article I read uh, on the weekend it was just more information about the Kings Cadon the the project at the fifteen and the forty to carry and the forty this monstrous this monstrous, monstrous project, uh, developers, Carbon Leo. This is something that is going to completely change the landscape of that area, of the TMR, that whole that whole center. Uh, you know, and it's mind-boggling on on what really is going to get done and the, and the planning. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on on that? Well, I I don't think that the engineers that redesign the uh, the carry. Uh, uh, expressway and 40 interchange we're expecting this development uh, because definitely there's going to be an, a huge increase in traffic uh, the this 40 is basically a distant uh, amélioré uh, because I think uh, the developers like Carbon Leo have realized that uh, they've made certain uh, mistakes with this 30 I mean it's very popular but there are a lot of issues with it um, and, and you mean from a from a congestion standpoint, or from the whole area around it now, how it well in terms developed? of its densification, um, because this taunt is very uh, lightly dense. Uh, you basically have to take your car from one store to another, uh, whereas with an interior mall, uh, you parked your car, you went into the mall, and you walked around, and you picked up your car. Um, it, these towns, you have to basically get, <laughs> spend most of the time driving from one parking lot to another. Now, from what I understand, from what I saw in the plans, um, it'll this garant will be a lot denser. Uh, there will be a lot more uh, office space, perhaps some residential. Uh, it, it's basically what um, strip malls will become 
uh, in the near future because that is the future of the suburbs. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be a draw. There's no doubt about it. But it's gonna create a lot of chaos in the meantime. And then of course there's the light rail system that uh, that's gonna be built. That's projected to be built. Uh, you know, it uh, should be, from what I read, done by 2021, the summer of 2021. They're supposed to start building uh, in, in just a few months' time. And this light rail system, uh, which which will really go well beyond, you know, where where the metros go and, and have better access to, to uh, suburban areas, there's, there's no doubt that it's going to increase the value of homes as well. I believe the uh, when I was reading the Quebec Federation of Real Estate Boards, uh, they did a study in 2016, and they said if you if your home is within 1,500 meters, uh, so basically about a mile uh, or less away from a subway station or or a light rail station, the price of a single family home could be boosted by close to 40 percent, and the price of a condo close to 20 percent. So it's not starting to be built yet, but if uh, if you want to go on and check out, you know where where this light rail system is going, there's uh, there's no question that hey, go buy in that area because property values should absolutely go up. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Miguel. There, there's so so much more news, but uh, as we approach, and you're going to come back on and talk about future cities, so we welcome that. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people and in studio with us, we have Miguel Escobar of Future Cities. Uh, You heard him a little bit as we were talking about some uh, real estate news in the city. Later on the program, uh, we'll bring in uh, Nick Moradis tax partner at Fuller and uh, the challenges of how do we continue, if possible, to uh, income split uh, with the income that's earned in our businesses. But first, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll turn back to Miguel and, uh, and learn a little bit more about Future Cities and his experience uh, over the last uh, several decades. Uh, welcome again, Miguel. Thanks, Josh. And uh, I guess for the listener, what is Future Cities? What do you do? Well, uh, Future Cities is something that I've been working on since I was nine years old. Uh, I decided to be an architect after you know, doing a lot of drawing when I was a kid, and, and consciously at nine years old, I, I decided that's what I wanted to be. And um, I also needed why, a- why architecture? Like, what wh- what drove you? Was there was there something with with is this your parents, your family, your friends? Why architecture? What was that driving factor? Uh, poverty. <laughs> poverty. <laughs> we came here to Canada, in Canada, to Canada in 1965. Um, you know, very, um, very modest uh, family. Uh, but one thing my dad did, uh, fortunately, is buy a, a used Rambler and drove us all over uh, eastern Canada, uh, northeastern United States, New York, Chicago, Washington, um, and sitting, you know, 15 hours straight in the back seat, uh, looking at the landscape go by and, and, and looking up and, and kinking your, my neck, looking up at skyscrapers in New York, uh, in, in Chicago. Uh, I really got a, a great sense of observation and analytical uh, capacity to observe. And uh, when I got home, I started drawing what I saw um, in our little attic uh, uh one bedroom apartment that we lived in. Uh, and so those trips really inspired me to uh, change my world. 
but that that's great. But I know today it's not just about architecture. It's not just about being an art architect. Future Cities is actually a whole lot more than that. So what other facets of the real estate profession do uh, does Future Cities cover? Uh, well, combined with my personal company as a, 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 a my personal name, Miguel Escobar Architect, I'm also a chartered real estate broker. And through Future Cities, I do other activities such as urban planning, general contracting, um, interior design and uh, consulting lobbying. Uh, so I basically have six uh, uh, professions uh, that I'm registered actively right now. That's uh, that's a lot of hats you wear. Identity crisis much? Uh, do you ever have a conflict, you know, where you're, you have one client that, that comes in for certain or many of the, the different facets that you offer? Does one compete against the other? Uh, you know, do you find yourself in a position where you have a conflict of interest because you're trying to design the right thing, but it might not be right for for uh, for another aspect? I'm very careful with that. Uh, when I'm looking at a, I'm wearing my hat as a real estate broker. Um, I will tell my client, uh, you know, uh, what not to buy. Uh, that's free. I'm an architect. I'll tell them I'm not letting you buy this building. Uh, but if I do like a building, I will bring in a, a, a building inspector who will. You know, basically tell us whether you know the the building is uh, in a good state uh, or what repairs need to be done. Uh, so I'm very very careful with that. Um, in fact, uh, the Order of Architects knocked on my door one day, and for about four years I had an investigation because they were asking basically the same question. So uh, I explained like, to them like how you can wear so many hats or how do you deal with your clients? Yes, yes. And basically after four years, I uh, <laughs> they were really getting on my nerves and and, and pushing me, but I, I basically you know. Uh, met with them and explained to them how I operate and uh, made a few tweaks on my website, which was one of the things that they were concerned about. Um, but after it was all finished, they, they, they let go and, and actually uh, the gentleman actually shook, shook my hand and said, oh, I actually wanted to meet you because you have a re very good reputation. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me this four years ago? <laughs> doing his job. He's doing his job. But yeah, that's what they're there for. They're there to uh, protect the public and, and that's great. And uh, now it's it started off as as architect and it, it did it evolve quickly to add all the other uh, other divisions or other other aspects of real estate uh, and and why did you why did you go into them like you weren't busy with one you had to just kind of kill yourself with all these other aspects well um as as my career evolved, I I was meeting different uh, difficulties and trying to get things done. Um, I was seeing my uh, friends in real estate making a lot more money than I I did, uh, especially since I was designing the building. I was responsible for it. Um, and and at one point I said, you know, uh, I should be doing this. I'm I'm correcting a lot of mistakes that are coming in. My clients were would ask me to uh, prepare construction drawings based on the deals that were made and they would freak out because sometimes the, the costs were completely above their budget and they would come and ask me you know how 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 come this is and i said well that's what's in your in your lease or your or your uh, conditions of purchase of sale and then schedule c and and so I said to myself, you know, I, I know this stuff and I think I can do a good, good job as well. I guess, I guess it's your way. A lot of manufacturers go vertical. You know, they try and, you know, get the raw, their raw materials, manufacture, and then distribute in sales channel. I guess this is your way of going vertical is really touching on many aspects. So your customer stays in-house and doesn't go to a competitor. 
And that's what was happening to me. I, I was losing clients uh, uh, that were going to real estate brokers and they were referring them to other architects and, and designers. And today I work with a lot of CEOs, uh, REITs, pension funds, and I take them from A to Z. Uh, I, if a client comes to me and needs a very specific service, I can plug those holes as well. But I can basically take them from the site selection, the negotiation of the of the purchase or the lease, uh, the design, the construction, all the way through, and the uh, the life of this and life cycle of the building. And there's no doubt that, of course, you're there's there's marketing. There's a, there's a whole team that surrounds you. Um, and when we when we come back a little later, we'll we'll pick up on that and that. We're talking with Miguel Escobar of Future Cities, and later on the program, we'll speak with uh, Nick Moretis, a tax partner, and talk about the challenges of income splitting in today's world, especially with the federal budget around the corner. Stay tuned. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Uh, The voice you are not hearing tonight is Dan Delmar. He is on a family day in Toronto. Uh, the rest of the country except Quebec is on family day. But in studio with us this evening, we welcome and we have Miguel Escobar of Future Cities uh, talking about many different aspects of the real estate profession. Uh, and later on in the program, we're uh, we're going to welcome Nick Moretis, tax partner at FL, and uh, talk about some challenges of uh, income splitting now that a lot of them have been kind of taken away from, from Revenue Canada. And with the budget next week, we'll see what else they're uh, they're going to tackle. But we're going to come back to Miguel and uh, Miguel is is you know part of his job is urban planning, part of his job is uh, at future cities is really building and understanding the cities. And, and I guess I I would in, in the in the spirit of learning from your experience Miguel, what would be maybe one of the 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 biggest or most challenging jobs or projects that you worked on and what was your takeaway from it? Uh, I think the the most challenging one was um, the uh, design ideas competition we won in Beijing, China. Uh, It uh, basically brought together all my expertise in architecture, urban design, uh, management, uh, looking at uh, the future of cities. And and that's when I I came up with the name uh, Future Cities. It was um, a name that I took from a drawing that I made when I was in grade school, a drawing that was published in the uh, school commission uh, calendar. And um, by chance, the name wasn't uh, reserved in Canada and the United States. I registered it. And it basically tells what we do uh, from architecture, urban planning, urban design, real estate, um, municipal management. I, I worked for the city of Greenfield Park for five years as uh, urban planning and technical service director, as well as uh, director I, general. I'm sure there were some lessons that you learned from there too and, and what to apply. It was a very, very colorful municipality. I'll, I'll, I'll stay at that for the moment, but I, I did learn a lot from that and, and that helped me uh, to develop my capacity as a, um, as a um, lobbyist, uh, which I do for many corporations and, and, and multinationals here in Montreal that are coming in from overseas and need to understand how politics and, and zoning changes work. Uh, 
Now, the, you know, I, I understand, you know, architecture and real estate, it's reputation is big and it's certainly about your projects. And, and sometimes the people know the projects instead of knowing who you are. Uh, so from a marketing aspect, uh, you know, whether you're thinking from early on uh, when you when you started your, your, your experience in your company versus today, what what are you doing from a marketing aspect? How are you how are you getting people to know that you exist and you can do, especially with the different with the so many different facets of real estate that you're touching? Uh, well, it's true that a lot of people know my projects, but not too many people know who I am. Um, I've been in this business uh, over 30, 40 years. Uh, worked on some major projects in Montreal. I was the architect for Ogilvy's for 15 years. Uh, I designed the project that's going up now on La Montagne. I, I took it through all the um, zoning approvals uh, process uh, at the city, uh, obtained the uh, approvals for a 20-story tower. Now, Car- um, the Vimco and, and, and Holtz are, are building uh, the project with uh, a new set of professionals, but uh, that's something I, I worked on at the time. So do you, do you kind of walk around with a portfolio of, of projects and say, hey, this is who I am? I hardly have time to put my portfolio together. Uh, it's 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 crazy, but um, no, I mean uh, we work for a lot of very high end, uh, high net worth uh, individuals, uh, REITs, uh, pension funds. We get a lot of referrals from lawyers. We've worked on some very high profile projects, uh, public projects for the Quebec government and in, in the city um, that a lot of people know about, but I won't mention here. Uh, so because of that, we've we've. We've developed a really good re- reputation with uh, law firms, and uh, they pass us on to clients that want to deal with uh, reputable firms. So basically, you're you're really managing relationships. You're not you're not necessarily blasting social media or putting publications in the paper, or sitting on a weekly radio show. Um, but you're 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 really working on your relationships. Absolutely. Um, and, and when I do meet uh, clients and they ask me, well, who are you? What have you done? I show them my uh, half-baked <laughs> uh, portfolio and they say, oh, wow, well, they know my projects and they wonder how come you know they haven't heard of me before. Uh, but I think that's part of who I am and, and what my clients expect of me as well. Uh, is, you know, I can speak of one client uh, who's now passed away, Alexis Neon II. I worked with him in the Bahamas for five years, developed one of his projects there. Um, I, on the plane, people, professionals going to the Bahamas would ask me, you know, would tell me what they were doing and, and they would ask me who I was meeting and, and I just would keep mum. <laughs> uh, and I think our, my clients appreciate that. Uh, you know, this, this no, is very... Confidentiality is, uh, is no, no question. It's key. Extremely important. We're, we're speaking with uh, Miguel Escobar, uh, founder of Future Cities. Miguel, there, there's no doubt you're, you're, you have a lot of knowledge, you have a lot of experience, but you're not a one-man show. It does take a team around you to make sure that everything gets, gets done and handled and be professional and communicative. Uh, tell me, how, how many people are you approximately today? Well, uh, we were 15 at one point. Uh, we've gone down a little bit uh, since then. Uh, my goal now is to work back up to 24 with a very different structure, um, surrounding myself with at least one uh, professional that has one of my licenses uh, that concentrates basically on business development, but the same type of approach that I have, uh, person-to-person uh, type of uh, approach, uh, who can also uh, produce and, and, and gain another part of the salary, uh, but who doesn't necessarily want to continue uh, managing their own firm. 
Um, and we're taking this internationally as well. We have a rep office now in, in Madrid. Uh, we're looking at going back to China through Hong Kong. Um, Is it tough to manage people from afar or find the right people, the right partners from afar? Uh, it is, and, and that's why I'm changing the, the, the structure of how I'm doing that because in China, I was paying people you know, a fair good amount of money to get me the projects, and um, they were getting the projects, but they weren't telling me about them. <laughs> uh, uh, so the idea is to um, you concentrate. Need you need boots on the ground? or Yes, you need boots on the ground. And, and now with... Um, a technology we can produce here and and, and develop relations with uh, local partners, um, and and that's what we're going to be doing. You know, you say technology. Technology must have you know affected your life drastically over the years. You know, from the time you were drawing your skyscrapers uh, just after you were nine years old to today in the computer software. Um, what's been the biggest technological technological change that stands out in your mind? I think. Even till today, it's the facts. The facts. I wonder uh, how many people are laughing at us right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not at us. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, uh, back in uh, 85 to 1990, I was working I, I, uh, on the construction and relocation of Mount Sinai Hospital from Senegat uh, to Montreal. And so I would drive every morning from Montreal to Senegat and back uh, 100 kilometers up, 100 kilometers down, 1,000 uh, a week, working double shifts. Um, and if, after the first six months, it, it was crazy because I, I would be sending snail mail to the architects in Montreal uh, or the engineers and asking for modifications. And it would take a, a, over a week to get a reply, and it was not usually the answer I wanted. Um, so I... I I convinced my uh, my boss, uh, Director General at the time, Joseph Rothmart, one of my mentors, to get a fax. Um, they finally squeezed some money together. <laughs> and the day I put that into operation, I gave the architects a heart attack uh, because it's, it squeezed basically one week of time into one hour. There hasn't been such a compression of... Uh, with, all the com with all the CAD, the computer software and all that, Never, not something has been compressed as much as that. Yes, because today you can t take a fax and send it to to China and and speak to somebody over the phone uh, while you're on the phone with him. Uh, yes, when we won the competition in Beijing, we f I finished at four o'clock in the morning, got on the plane at eight. My drawings were in Beijing. By the time I got to my hotel room, the the boards and the presentation panels were already ready for me. Um, our our team was picking up on our projects. Um, at uh, nine o'clock uh, at nighttime, it was nine o'clock their time. Uh, so yeah, it's it's the technology today is great, but the one thing that really has changed the world of architecture and construction and communications is the facts. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from Quebec entrepreneurs. Uh, soon we'll have our one piece of advice from tonight's guest, Miguel Escobar of Future Cities. But before we get there, uh, and I know everybody's been uh, on the edge of their seat, there is income sprinkling. Then there are curbing all the rules for income sprinkling that, that Mr. Bill Morneau, uh, our lovely finance minister, came out with last July, uh, February budget uh, just around the corner next week. But as the entrepreneurs have to deal with 
You know, all their tax slips and figuring out where to pay their dividends and and how they can pay their family members and use their family trusts, um, at least for 2017, possibly for the last time, at least for for that aspect of it. We ask and we turn to our uh, our guru, Nick Moretis, and uh, say, Nick, what are what are the things that come to mind? What are the challenges for entrepreneurs when we're talking about uh, tax on splitting income? So the background started in the summer when uh, the first uh, idea came out and the law came out, very harsh law at the time, that um, the government felt that uh, entrepreneurs or any anyone in business uh, basically should not be allowed to have family as shareholders, uh, distribute income to the shareholders, let them pay whatever tax. So they came out with some very harsh rules. Uh, they backed off in October, uh, made some general announcements that everybody would then started waiting for the law because we work based upon the law. And the law came out, I think it was December 13, just in time for the holidays. And, and, and so it ruined a lot of lives for tax practitioners in the summer and, and all that. Because tax practitioners usually have good lives to begin with. Absolutely. So the, <laughs> the idea now is, uh, and this applies to all our entrepreneurs, and it doesn't just apply to the ones who've made it, who are very successful. It, it applies to anyone trying to make it. And I guess in, in, in our discussions with our clients and, and meeting people, there's a lot of frustration out there that just as they're starting to get some tread, all of a sudden these, these taxes are coming in. So now the government is basically saying, um, I think the simplest thing would have been is we really don't like you sharing uh, income with your young kids going to school. So anybody from 24 and under, we really don't want you to share with them. Unless they work in the business, unless they gave up school and they're working more or less, not full-time, but say about three days a week, every single week, then we'll let you do what you want with them because they're contributing to the business. So that, that was a concept. This but also it's, but works, it's never that simple. Not that simple. It also works with spouses or anybody else in the family. So we got to remember this is a family situation. Um, so if they were talking about two unrelated people, this does not doesn't, apply. Doesn't and apply. unrelated to, to us also includes uncles and aunts and cousins. They're not, we're not related in the tax act also, although you tell many communities that they, they, they won't buy that. So if you're working, if your family's working in the business and is doing at least the three days, I call it three days, it's 20 hours uh, a week that they want. Um, you're, you're, you're safe. You can do what you, you can pay the dividends, you can pay salary, you, you can do as you wish. And, and like you were doing before. Absolutely. Um, but if your family is not working, so you, 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 can't, you can't use that, then they turn around and bring in a whole bunch of uh, tests. And one of the tests basically says, well, I guess if your family member owns enough shares of the company and has enough votes, so there's a, there's a financial interest in the family member, well, okay, we'll let you share income with them. So if the, if the company makes a profit and, and you want to give them a dividend, you're allowed to do that. But then came the buts. And the first but was anybody who's a professional cannot use that. So then professionals are lawyers, accountants, dentists, doctors, uh, vets, and I know I'm missing somebody, but uh, anyway. Professionals. Professionals. Nobody likes professionals. What about architects? No, actually, architects for some reason are not identified as professionals. Lucky you, Miguel. I I think (laughs) as a profession, you do a grand job. Um, Then the other thing they threw uh, as a curveball, which caught a lot of us off guard, is that if you're in the service business, it also doesn't qualify. And, um, but what does service mean well, that's exactly? It. What does service mean? Uh, an, uh, um, an electrician and a plumber is a service. So are you telling me that an electrician cannot organize his company with his family owning the shares and split income with them? And right now, the way it's written, it seems to suggest it, it, it can't. Unless, of course, the electrician is selling a lot more parts and pieces than of his time. Then he might be okay. 
or he's going to have much bigger markup on his parts and pieces. And, That's right. Uh, we're and, not and much sure. Less on the so service. there's a lot. So so the owning the shares doesn't always necessarily work, uh, but that is something that you you got to get to your professional. You got to look at your situation, and and we're we're starting to see a lot of problems emanating from that. The other thing they came out and said was uh, because uh, companies are used, or the uh, holding companies especially, are used as a retirement vehicles for entrepreneurs. That's that's why you're accumulating that cash. It's it's, it's to reinvest, build up something. So when you do stop working, you got something. It's not or just for your children. It's fails, not just for your children, right? No. Or if the business fails, you've got something because uh, businesses do fail, as we, we as we know. So then they basically came out and said, well, you know, we let you uh, split inc- uh, pension income between. Um, spouses. So you know what? We'll let you split dividend income between spouses if the main spouse, the, the one who, who whose effort and contributions in the past led to the accumulation of wealth is 65 years and older. So um, if that's the case, then you can uh, dividend sprinkle with your uh, spouse because we will let you pension split also with your spouse. But that means that when you are getting your rifts and you can uh, split uh, your pension and with your spouse, it's not a big gift that they're giving you now that you can do the dividends. So the professionals are out. Um, it put the whole question mark as to do we use trusts, which have been a mainstay for, for the last 20, 30 years, and now that comes back up, and, and we have to now turn around and look at this. So there's a there's a whole bunch of rules that people have to follow. It is not so straightforward. Not uh, at all. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. You have to follow into it. And then, of course, you have to document everything because if your family's going to work, somebody better exactly. see that. Somebody Pro- better prove see that your mem- family member worked 22 and a half hours last week. Exactly. Thanks very much, uh, Nick Moretis, a tax partner at FL. Uh, lots of rules to navigate there. TOSI, Tax on Split Income. And as we approach the, uh, the last moment of of our show as we do each week. We'll turn to our guest, Miguel Escobar of Future Cities and ask you, Miguel, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Uh, well, we, we had a little meeting uh, this week, uh, last week, you and I, and we were talking about my favorite word, which is uh, serendipity. And serendipity is a sequence or series of very um, fortuitous and happy events that lead to a very uh, nice uh, ending or, or beginning. And I was wondering, you know, my life's been a little bit like that, uh, very many serendipitous moments. And um, I was wondering how that is. And, and I realized that um, you have to make choices in life as to who you take on as clients. And sometimes the big bucks are dangled in front of you. Uh, but if you don't feel right about it, uh, you might as well just move on and, and, and keep uh, uh, your life positive. Um, uh, because you have so many other uh, negative uh, things around you that uh, cause other grief and pain that you don't need to cause more grief and pain for yourself. Excellent. Thank you so much, Miguel. Uh, definitely uh, good advice. Uh, watch out. Make make the right calls. Make the right decisions. And, and don't don't accept greed. Thank you very much, Miguel Escobar, Future Cities. Nick Moranis, tax Thanks, partner Josh. at FL. Uh, stay tuned. Check out all our past shows at flmontreal.com. And uh, look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks very much and have a great night.